to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. We, uh, we won't have an information overload this morning. Read with me from uh, Psalms 139 verse 7 to 12. And um, then we'll take it from there. Where can I go? Where can I escape your spirit? Where can I flee to escape your presence? If I were to ascend to heaven, you'd be there. If I were to sprawl out in Sheol, there you'd be. If uh, I were to fly away on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the other side of the sea, even there your hand would guide me, your right hand would grab hold of me. If I were to say, certainly the darkness will cover me and the light will turn to night, and the light will turn to night all around me even the darkness is not too dark for you to see and the night is as bright as day darkness and light are the same to you i'm um, wanting to talk about uh, what david is sharing here and um, wanting to share around um, david's perspective and then in a minute just moses perspective and they don't seem to tie up but there's something in here that um, is very special to me at this time, and uh, David is is quite incredible at, at this stage because uh, David's understanding of of how the earth works and looks in the universe is, is just incredible. You must remember that for many many years afterwards, hundreds of years, um, the Roman Catholic Church and even a lot of scientists um, didn't couldn't conceptualize the space that that we as humans find ourselves in. And, uh, and David has truly an inspired moment and he's, he's saying, uh, things to the effect of, uh, if I were to have enough money and, um, you know, get into the space program and, and fly to the uttermost ends of the galaxy, um, I'm going to encounter God there. If I were to get into a boat and go to another continent and land on another shore, God would be there. He says, if I, um, were to uh, go down to hell, Right in the middle of the darkness, God would be there. It doesn't matter where I go. I like the word he uses. I cannot escape. I cannot get away. So David has a, has a very strong um, understanding about the presence of God. And he's obviously talking about um, what theologians call the transcendence. God, the, the, the God's out there-ness, his, his bigness, his uh, being that is, is really not only inconceivable, but... Too great for us to get handles on. And then Moses, if you go with me to Exodus 33, 14 to 16, takes up the same subject and uh, he doesn't seem to share David's view or David's experience. And there's a beautiful discrepancy that I believe is one that is relevant to us right here and now. And the background to this conversation that we're joining is where God has said to Moses, listen, I'm pretty cheesed off. Now, a lot of people don't uh, think that God gets cheesed off. Um, and uh, obviously, people who feel that God can't get cheesed off or irritated or irritable uh, have never been in a relationship. <laughs> or have never understood that God made us in his image. That there's a lot of stuff that happens that isn't good or bad, or right or wrong. It's not sin. It's, it's just, it just happens. It's called life. And, and God's got a moment like that with Moses. And he says, listen, I'm pretty cheesed off with uh, 
with you, you lot, because you're stubborn and you're headstrong. And, and I've, I've made some decisions here, Moses. I'll tell you what. You see, I'm, I'm a man of, of integrity. I'm a God of integrity. So I've promised you um, that at the end of the Exodus, I'm going to take you to the promised land. But now watch this, Moses. I'm not going to go with you because I'm a little bit dick of you at the moment. But I'll tell you what. I'm going to send my angel ahead of you. And I will give you the promised land. I will fulfill my promise to you. And then Moses' response. Moses says, God, I have a problem with what you're saying right now. And then God says, okay, Moses, I relent. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses responds, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. And David talks about the presence of God as, as being universal, ubiquitous. It's just everywhere. You, you can't escape it. You can't run away from it. And Moses thinks of the presence of God differently. He, he, say, he says, God... We can't go there and have you fulfill your word and, and you're not with us. So the two of them had, had a different understanding. And obviously Moses lived before David. And the fact is both of them have a very accurate understanding. And, and sometimes it's known as transcendence and imminence. Um, the year and nowness of God and the out there-ness of God. And both are true of, of God's presence. And it is especially relevant for us. And what Moses is saying to God is something that so many kids, if they could articulate, if they could dig into their hearts, if they could grow or project themselves into a place of, of uh, self-awareness, where they could speak of the pain, where they could understand and express the pain, verbalize the pain in their hearts, it would be something like what Moses is saying. A little guy, eight years old, will look his dad in the eye and grab him by the collar and bring him down to his level and says, Dad, you're a great dad and, and, uh, and you're a cool dad and, and I look cool just like you look cool and, and you're really amazing. But, but Dad, can, can you hold back with the presents, with the gifts and give me more presents? And Moses is saying the angel is great and the promised land is great. But he says, God, if it were up to me, I'd rather have you promise, cancel all the, all the promised land and stuff. Withdraw the angels, all that supernatural stuff. Just, just stop it already. Because God, for me personally and for us as a nation, it's about you. It's about your presence. But now, it's confusing because... Uh, David says, what's, what's this thing about presence with God? Because God's presence isn't like human presence. And obviously that is so, but it, but it can't be so if, it can't be just that simple if Moses didn't feel about it that way. And there's much I can say about this, but one thing that I, I really feel needs to change with us, and especially as charismatics, is that, that we, we must understand that our thinking about God and, and His size and His presence needs to align before we get 
to what Moses is saying. It needs to align more with what David is saying. Um, I sometimes I'm so tempted to do a Reinhard Bonk on people. And by that I'm referring to a time when, um, and C.S. has told the story a lot, but uh, before Big Crusade, Reinhard Bonker goes down his knees and all these guests that he invited are allowed to gather around him and lay hands on him and pray for him for, uh, for the, the crusade meeting or whatever. So apparently C.S. prays and he says, God, send your presence, send your rain and, and send your blessing. And then <laughs> you know, Reinhard with his big German voice, he stands up and he says, no, no, we don't pray like that. <laughs> we don't ask God for rain. We don't ask God for his presence. We don't ask God for stuff that is already given. We don't bug God about commitments he's already made. We don't pray stupid prayers. And, uh, you know, he uses it as a teaching moment. And once he's brought that correction, he went down on his knees and they could continue praying. But I sometimes have an urge to do that when people welcome God into our presence. And I just want to set this straight. David had this worked out. We don't have presence to invite God to. It's not our world, it's his world. It's our Father's world. The earth is the Lord's in its fullness. And everybody there. We have been invited into God's space. And David says God's space is everywhere. You can't ever step out of God's space. And I think that's good news. And David has good news for anybody who's, who's ever thought that they are too bad or too good or too special or too cute or too sexy. We, we can't move outside of God's space. But we must move away from idolatrous notions. And, and I guess some of the older denominations, the Orthodox churches and the Catholic churches have something to do with it. The, the, the need to reduce God down to human size, make an icon of him, you know, so that we can connect with him and, and, and visualize him. And so in the first commandment, God says, don't do that. Don't try to trim me down. Don't do the anthropomorphic thing on me. Don't, don't make me like a man. Leave that to me. I will do that, but you don't do that. And so I, I just really would like to caution, and especially in our worship experience, I've come across this a lot, this, this notion that we're going to put some chairs around and then we're going to get the place tidied up and, and, and when it's nice enough, God may come. He's not going to come. He needn't come. doesn't matter where we come to. doesn't matter what we do. He's there long before we get there. And so the bottom line of, of what I'm wanting to share today has to do with the fact that God's presence is something that, that we need to think about differently because we're going to be experiencing it differently. God never rushes into a place because he's forgotten about the meeting. <laughs> we used to have these old songs, um, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. Because, again, with the incarnation, it has made it very, very easy for us to think 
of God as a man who walks around and is limited in terms of time and space. And so we had this idea of Christ walking from seat to seat, and evangelists still speak about it. Christ walking from seat to seat, and he's going to touch you now where you're sitting now. And yes, it's, I, I think it's, it's a beautiful thought. It's, 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 a, it's a childlike thought, but it's not biblical. It's not scriptural. So I said, Fred, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say the challenge is for us to learn to be present to God. And when we experience the presence of God, it's not like God has done anything, like he's rushed anywhere. It just means that we are waking up to the fact that he is here and he has been here all along. It's like there's an unveiling that needs to happen. But this, the, these huge rituals, we, we call them worship these days, of, of singing more. And, and I mean, charismatics of 20 years ago used to wait for the glory cloud. And if the glory cloud doesn't come, then apparently God's not here. I had some sweet people from Holland a couple of years ago on a Sunday morning like this after the service came to me and, and they had this very concerned and this blessed look in their eye and, and they had a, a beautiful, I didn't even check if it was business class but it was a plane ticket. I should have actually checked if it was business class or Emirates because <laughs> but it was a plane ticket to Florida and apparently God was there and I needed to get in the plane to go and experience God there. And I stood there, you know, it's an awkward moment. But again, my spirit's so grieved because I realized that, and, and the, the man giving it to me says to me, he's a, he's a medical professor and he says, nobody on this planet must really knows more about the human eye than I do. I, I, that's what I've spent my life doing, studying the human eye. So it's, it's, it's a brilliant man. But his God notion, Is a little bit challenged. Because you really figured that there was more of God in Florida than in that little meeting that morning. You know, and uh, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but sometimes I don't get angry very often, but sometimes when I get angry, I get massively anointed. <laughs> And so I, I, I had a word for him. I said, listen, I don't know who the man is that, that you're inviting me to, but I can tell you one thing, that before this month is out, this man will be exposed as a charlatan. So not only am I not going there, you shouldn't go there. Nobody should go there. And before that month was out, the man was not allowed entry into Britain because he's a registered pedophile and he's not supposed to leave the county that he's in. And the ministry that he was conducting was outside of his county, so he was a lawbreaker to begin with. So it was an illegal revival happening there. And that's just an aside. It's got nothing to do with what I'm trying to say. But the point I'm making is that we, we have a need to move away from, from this idea that God, who's made not only the planet, but the galaxy that's a part of it. And the galaxy, if the planet is this big... Like, like where I'm showing with my hand now. And the galaxy that this planet is a part of is as large as the, the school grounds. Then there are billions of these galaxies out there. And then beyond that, there are constellations. And new ones are being formed all the time. 
And the God that we serve is bigger than all of that. It's contained in him. And he's so big he can be outside of it, but he chooses not to. He's inside and it's his presence that maintains order. Everywhere except on this planet. Where the will of man reigns sovereign. Until submitted to God. So the chaos that we see happening on earth doesn't happen out there. If it did, we wouldn't be around. We wouldn't have a chance. A galaxy would be destroyed long ago. But God upholds all things by the word of his power. God is present everywhere. And, and for where we're going to right now, I, f- I feel it's so important that we abrogate, that we move away from the space that we think we're occupying and meant to occupy. And as we leave that thought there, I think as we go on and, and see what this means for us, when we talk about the primacy of presence, Moses is saying, God, I'm talking about FaceTime. And, and when we break this down to human terms, I, I think we get this. I was on campus uh, a while ago. And, and I had a beautiful experience I'll tell you about a little bit later. But at one point, I'm being attacked uh, by a lot of people all the time. They just loved having me in the room because they could vent all of their <laughs> toxic stuff on me. And, uh, you know, today's generation doesn't understand that us older generation don't get hurt by words. And that sometimes your skin is only so dark because it's so thick. So th- they are going for me. And uh, I put up my hand at one stage and said, listen, I most probably haven't been on campus here in, in 15 years. And, uh, and the speaker looks back at me and says, yes, but that's the point. Your spirit is everywhere, he says. <laughs> and I quite like that. Because <laughs> he, he understands something about what we meant to get about God. There comes a time... When we become aware of, of somebody's presence because of engagement. And the only reason why we don't know and understand the presence of God is because we have not learned how to engage his presence. But we must move away from this notion that God has come to play hide and seek with us in the earth. And when we're talking about pursuing God, it is, it is actually a little bit of a misnomer. But we are meant to understand that God is here and we must learn to wake up to the fact that he is here. And David says it doesn't matter where you find yourself in, in terms of personal space, personal experience. doesn't matter wh- what your narrative is manifesting right now, what your life story is about right now. He says God is right there. You can stop. You needn't run away, get onto a plane. You needn't read a new book. You needn't fast for 60 days. You needn't do any of those stuff. You just need to understand something about who God is. The greatness, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. There's nothing he cannot do. There's no space he does not fill. And there's nothing that he knows, doesn't know of. He's omniscient. That's the God we serve. It's not an idol. It's not an icon whose presence and activation we can invoke by doing a lot of stuff. But ours is a very humble challenge to acknowledge something of his greatness, to discover something of his greatness, something of his everywhereness. And it's a big challenge for us because it's a faith challenge. 
And then after a faith challenge, it becomes an experience challenge. And like Moses, Moses says, God, the people and I need to experience you, need to feel that you're with us. We don't need an engagement with angels. And we don't need blessings. And we don't need the manna. We don't need all that stuff as much as we need to know that you are here. And so in a technical sense, what Moses is saying is not true. But what Moses is saying, God, is we as a stubborn, headstrong people, we need to learn to become present to you. And so God is saying to Moses, Moses, I'm just going to hold back a little bit here with you guys. Because obviously you don't need me. For you, it's all about what I can give you, for what I've promised. And can I tell you something about the charismatic church right now that really concerns me? I believe that there are a few narratives that define us and, and help us to understand where we, not only where we are right now, but where we're going to. And in terms of where we've come from, the story of the charismatic church is a bit that of the prodigal son. We've got an amazing testimony and a witness that, that the father loves us. He loves us so much that he's prospered us. <laughs> and it's so important to understand that a lot of times the prosperity and the blessing of God comes just to facilitate judgment. God gives the prodigal son what isn't even his to give. Belongs to the older brother. And he gives it to the younger son. And he says, he's saying to the son, just, just, just go ahead. Waste it, spend it. I know you're going to. But when you come back, I know I'll have my son back. Who doesn't want his inheritance. Who doesn't want miracles. Who doesn't want the supernatural. doesn't want that stuff. doesn't want stuff. wants me. We're a narcissistic, self, a very selfish generation. And by default, we think of ourselves and our own interests all the time. Compassion has not been at the all-time low it is now, ever. The last time it was this low, God would intervene to judge the world. And this time he's not going to. I say to uh, some young audiences sometimes that, and I just do it to provoke, it doesn't apply to you. You must be the most pathetic generation that has been alive in centuries. And it's a great thing to say because everybody wakes up. There's nothing like a good bit of anger to get everybody focused. There's nothing like digging around in the rage that lives down in the heart of the modern generation. Isn't that so? You know, God must fall, skies must fall, zoomers must fall, snow must fall, rain must fall, everything must fall. Because uh, <laughs> we're angry and we feel it. It's, it's time to make things fall. There's a spirit of anarchy that is beginning to be released. And it's, it's resident in this current generation. But actually what I'm saying isn't altogether true because... When Christ died, that generation was just a few steps ahead of us. Over in Rome on a Saturday morning, they'd all take the Kentucky Fried Chicken and sit around in the, in the Colosseum and then watch people's heads and limbs get chopped off and they loved every minute of it. 
that wasn't a narcissistic generation. They'd moved on beyond the sociopathic and uh, they were just psychopathic. The whole lot of them, including the Jews. The whole empire got contaminated with such a dark spirit. And if I were the father and my son was being so cruelly, it's one thing to have your son murdered. It's another thing to have him tortured to death. If my son were being tortured, tortured to death, I'm sitting having to watch this. Do you know what I would do? I would have a moment again. God's had a couple of moments. You, you, you read about in the Old Testament. I would arrange for a couple of solar flares, young George. And starting around the Middle East, I would fry that whole lot. Like in a George Lucas sci-fi movie. And then I'd move to the equator and just... Then I'll come to the people of the south and I'll fry them all. It'll take me, what, 36 hours? 48 for the most. I'll kill everybody. I'll reduce this whole planet to ash. But I'll go for, there's, there's like an old lady that, and her husband in the temple. When Christ was born, they were there. I'll do an Abram and Sarah on them. I'll send them on a honeymoon and have them have kids again. We'll start over with them. That's what I would have done. <laughs> but you know what God does? He's so amazing. He takes that same crowd to Jerusalem and pours the Holy Spirit upon them. And here we are. God's not afraid of darkness. And he doesn't run from darkness. David says, it doesn't matter how deep the darkness is, God doesn't move away. He's present. And we're going to see God's presence in the middle of darkness. So that's what I'm wanting to share about with us this morning. So Moses says, God, I don't want, want your stuff. I want you. Go with me to Exodus 14, 13 and 14. Moses again. He's at the Red Sea, Egyptians behind him. He can't move to the left or to the right. And he says to the people, do not be afraid. And then, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Go with me to 2 Chronicles 20 verse 17. Jehoshaphat and his army overwhelmed by a mass of opponents. Militarily overwhelmed. And he does it again. He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Go with me to Ephesians 6.13 about spiritual warfare. At the end it says, having done all to stand, stand. And if we go back to the Red Sea with Moses over there, it is such a powerful moment. And I believe it's something that God wants the church for the next season to get. It's like very simple, but it's very deep. It's like salvation. It's so simple, most people miss it on the earth today. How, how can you just believe in God and confess with your mouth and that's it? How can you access amazing grace like that so simply? How, how? What I'm sharing about this morning is an aspect of grace that is as simple. God says to, to Moses, Moses, I want you to go to that, that body of water. And uh, these some 2 million people, maybe they started off as like 1.8 million people, but there's a mass, a, a, a whole lot of people. That needs to get through this body of water. They don't have a clue how they're going to do it. But God says to him, I want you to step into the water. 
But you don't need to do handstands, no incantations, don't invoke gods, don't do anything like that. Just be there. But here's the thing. Moses, if you can get a right to be at the Red Sea and then tune out the army chasing you or the impossible situation ahead of you. Moses was Jewish. He, he, he could do maths. All the equations you're running through your head Kind of work out the sums. How long is it going to take me to get this? Even if it opens up, I don't know how God's going to do it. How long is it going to take us to get these people across here? And those, those old ladies at the back with their walkers. No. If we could just dump them already, maybe, maybe we can make it today, but it's not a good day for us either way. We've got a lot of problems here. And God says, Moses, if, if you, if you can just do me this one favor, Shut off your head, shut off your emotions, shut off all your senses. And experience my grace to the biggest miracle. The biggest miracle isn't what happens in the sea or what happens with the people panicking behind you, shrieking, or the chariot wheels you're hearing in the distance. The biggest miracle is that you, I want you to learn how to be present to me in the middle of all this chaos. Just stand still and be present to me. Stand still and see. Be quiet and alert. Because here's the thing. Whether it's Moses, whether it's Joseph, or whether it's you or me as the believer, when God gives us the armor, the description of the armor, there are no missiles that he gives us. We don't get scud missiles on the shoulder to to do warfare with the principalities and powers in the heavenly. We get given a little sword, and it's not even a long one. It's like an extended dagger that hangs here. So we don't have massive reach. Most of the stuff God's given us is defensive for a reason. Because it's about verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 6. Our victory lies in us learning to be present to God when all hell rages around us. And that's massive. Don't be afraid, don't panic. Stand still and see. Stand still and see. Moses, 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 watch, watch me. Don't watch the sea. Don't watch the people. Don't look around. Moses, watch me. Moses, look at me. Moses, be present to me. And I think of it as the gift of embassy. Embassy is not a building that sits somewhere with a flag on top. Embassy speaks about the function, the position, the mission of an ambassador. In other words, to represent a foreign authority fully, completely, consummately. Moses, I want you to do embassy at the Red Sea. Jehoshaphat, do embassy. Don't, don't worry about the screaming and, and the taunting of the Goliaths on the other side. Tune them out, Moses. Just, just, Jehoshaphat, soldier of God, just be present to me. And, and there's a supernatural thing that God wants to do that is bigger than any other miracles. Everything else that happens after this flows from this. But 
I want, to, I want us to walk us through what does it take to get to that place where we can be present. Because it's not as easy as it looks. And I think we, we all can recognize that when your sums do not work out, we tend to want to panic. And when the pressure is really on, we go back to default mode. In other words, we're just human. And then we become the slaves of our senses. What we see, what we hear, what we feel, and what we experience in the year and now. And then what Christians do is we're waiting for God to pitch. In other words, we're waiting to see some movement. We're waiting for God to do something. And people of God, I want to tell you now that if you're Moses or Jehoshaphat, or the soldier in Ephesians chapter 6, God is not going to do stuff just to make you feel better. And when something happens, then you like an idolater, you and I like idolaters standing up, saying, God, God, God is here because the leaves are moving. God is here because the wind is blowing. God is here because somebody's getting emotional. It's that Psalm 46 place of quiet knowing. Be still and know. Just, just being present to God. And it's not like you're doing it for somebody else. Last year at uh, the Empower 21 conference in Jerusalem, this is uh, <clears throat> when this whole thing hit me like a ton of bricks. There was a band from Australia. Very cute band, bless their hearts. And, uh, and they came and, and did some, some worship songs. And by the second song, the bass player with the man bun had jumped off a big box and he'd run to the edge of the stage and he was doing a solo, bass solo. Most of the people at the conference come from Red China, the underground church. You know, bless God for the Oriental people. They are the most polite people on the planet. So they sit there watching this. And afterwards, they sort of... And then comes the speaker. He's from Indonesia with a name like this and a surname like that. I can't remember that. <laughs> he has an interpreter, an American guy, a very funny man. Um, and through the interpreter, he tells us that he's going to walk us through Acts. And Acts is divided into five parts, five chapters. And, um, and that represents the narrative of the, the end time church and the age of grace. And it, it, it starts with an outpouring of grace. It ends with persecution. And he's just going to walk us through the stages. So he introduces his message. And then he has this moment. He gives the interpreter the hand. Says, just be quiet. And then he grabs the microphone and he stands there staring at us. And then with the ten English words he knows, he begins to sing a lullaby to Jesus. Something like, your presence is heaven to me. That was the end of the evening for me. I don't know what happened between that moment and when we all, I don't much later, we piled out of that place without a word. The, the arrangement was that we all stay behind for a night of extended worship with the worship band, with the man buns and the cool clothes and that. None of us remembered. We, we really, we thought of it the next day. And <clears throat> I've never been that moved in my entire life. And I've, I've, a year and a half later, gotten to a point where I can talk about it without just falling apart like I did 
It's the most visceral moment I've ever had in my life. And I, I couldn't quite understand why it was so moving because nothing happened. The man did nothing. And then it took me a while to figure out, but that, that's the thing. Christ wanted to be there to do stuff, but he didn't need for the man to preach or to prophesy or to teach, to exhort. He needed no human contribution to do what he wanted to do that night except to have a servant who understood something of presence, of being present to him. And then that man was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that he could just stop and let us in on what happens with him and Christ in the prayer tower every morning. That was it. There were no altar calls needed, no explanations, no rationalizing of anything. I don't know what happened to the other people. All I knew is that when we walked out in hushed silence, we'd all had an encounter with God, like was just... God just wanted us to, sh- to see that he was in that arena, indoor sports arena, long before we came. In a very special way. But he was going to have to wait for us to be there. So what I'm talking about is two ladies at a coffee shop. The one lady's dad has just died. And a dog and a goldfish and a boyfriend dropped her. All in the same week. She desperately needs to talk to somebody. But now the best friend is sitting over there and, and, and she's not quite there because after a while you realize that her attention is on that table and there are two very cool looking guys sitting there and, and she is very determined to make eye contact with the one guy before this meeting ends. So she may be sitting there but she's not there. And the one person sitting there and their lives are falling apart and now you've got to deal with the fact that I never really had a friend either. And the fact is, you may have a friend, but it's like a friend with a massive relational disability. Christ is in the garden of Gethsemane, right? He's about, he's bleeding literally with, with anxiety. He goes to his disciples and say, listen, I've, I've never imposed on you, but can you guys just hang in there with me right now? Just, just be present to me, just, just, just for one hour. And he gets back to them and they, they could. And he sounds pretty cheesed off because he's got a right to be cheesed off. He says, just, just, just one time. I just wanted you to be there for me. I think a lot of us are there right now. But listen, let's just get technical here because I think you're getting what I'm trying to say. But how does it work? How does this delegated battle engagement work? Firstly, it has to do with something that has become very special to me, something called the Sabbath rest. Hebrews 4 verse 10, For he who has entered his rest has himself also, watch this, ceased from his own works as God did from him, from his. Now, what does this mean? It's like this. Usain Bolt gets saved. 
The church gets very excited, freaked out with excitement, because now everybody's got the understanding that Usain Bolt's going to have to learn to run for Jesus. But nobody's talked to Jesus about it. You know what Jesus would say to Usain Bolt? You know, your running is neither here nor there. I don't want you to run for me. I just want you. Or Justin Bieber gets saved. At this stage, we all assume that God wants Justin Bieber to sing because God likes Justin Bieber singing. And there's a good chance God doesn't care squat about Justin Bieber singing or Usain Bolt's running. God doesn't care squat about the gifts that I have or may not have. God doesn't care about my contribution. God does not need my contribution. I've said this to our pastors many times and and I try to repeat it from time to time. You know, it's, it's amazing when you've got those altar calls, those mission altar calls. Who can I call and who will go for us? And we all put up our hands and say, me, 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 pick me. You know, we like the donkey strike. Pick me, pick me. And, and then we step and we say, we, we say God, what, 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 what? And that's when we must understand each other. And now, we, we've been fed a dreadfully narcissistic diet in the name of Jesus. We'll talk about it now. And we have an assumption that God wants us to do great things for him because God wants us to achieve greatness because that's, that's what God's love turns. Nothing can be further from the truth. God doesn't want me to do anything. God just wants me to be present to him. I'm just, I'm just sharing with you what the scripture means. You and I cannot be in covenant relationship with God if we don't understand the Sabbath rest principle. And it means God says there comes a time when the land must lie fallow, not produce anything. And then God calls that Sabbath time, festival, day, whatever, he calls it sacred and holy. Nobody is going to break that. Nobody is going to be an exception. Whether it's your land, whether it's your ox, whether your sheep or your guard dog, give your guard dog the day off. God says this is this is this is just presence time. And what I said to the pastors, you know, it's amazing. We, we minister, we we do so much for God, and we're faithful, and, and and we're great people. But I have a suspicion that much as we love Jesus, we almost love his, him as much as we love our own contribution. The fact that we can bring something to the table, the fact that I can stand with a microphone and preach and I can have people listen to me and tell me afterwards, that that really meant a lot to me. That was life-changing. Sabbath rest talks about the principle that we understand, and, and this is bottom line, you people, that God would come to me and say, Fred, how about you never preach for me? How about you never do a thing for me? Can you do that? I want you to do nothing for me. Cease from your works. I want you to enter the rest of just being, not doing. Can, can you do that? 
But if I can talk to parents in this room, I'm a guilty parent. We are driven by purpose, driven by eternity, driven by bad things, driven by good things, and God hasn't created us, called us to be driven by nothing. Sounds very deep spiritual, but it works like this. Dad's got his keys. He's walking to the car. Saying, Johnny, what are you doing? Angry Birds. I'm playing Angry Birds, Dad. Wait, wait. I'm, I'm almost there. I'm, I'm almost there. And Dad says, Johnny, can, can you drop it? Just, just come with me. Why, Dad? Why? What's, what's, what's up? What's happening? No, no just, just, just come with me. Why? What, what for, Dad? For no reason, son. Just, just come with me. Where are you going, Dad? I'm, I'm going to the chemist, and then I'm going to the agri-mark, and, um, and then I'm going to go to the supermarket just to get some milk. Come with me. There's not a Johnny in this room today that will go with Dad. Because there's no purpose in the going. And Dad gets into his car, and he drives there, and he drives home. Johnny has just missed the purpose of his life of being with dad. Just doing nothing. It's a Sabbath principle. Are we going to discuss stuff, dad? Are you going to interrogate me? No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not in a talkative mood today. I just want to hang with you. Just, just come with me. You see, life has to be sensational. It's, it's got to be extraordinary. It's got to be exciting. Otherwise, not life. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. So, sometimes we must just can read Genesis again. Abraham says, th- sees three men out there and he goes to them and says, listen, what, what, why don't you come in? Just, just be here and, and, and uh, I'm, I'm going to slaughter a calf. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get the food ready, but can, can you guys wait for me? I'll, I'll get it ready. Can we just be, can you be with me in the tent? It happens to be God. He came to visit Abraham that day. And he got it. And today we don't get it. And, and we, we fed this narcissistic diet of self-actualization and fulfillment because the presupposition is that we are actually very important. And we are owed a life that feels significant and fulfilled. And that if life really happens, there's no space for the mundane, for the nothing to happen. And so we come to church and we've got these motivational speakers, they rev us. Because we must do when things are going to happen. It's going to be awesome. It's the glory of God. It's the power of God. The Sabbath rest. He talks about the human contribution fallacy. If we can have that slide up. But the empty insignificance. And the irony of our self-importance. Psychologists call what we suffer from as modern people the Messiah complex. It's defined as a state of mind, a state of being, which within the reality of the individual possessing the complex 
subconsciously feels that they bear the weight of the world and that their actions and their words embolden others and may be a significant catalyst of changing the course of the world for better. Does that sound like a lot of sermons we hear in church nowadays? While that may or may not at times be true, the individual consistently envisions quasi-prophetic projections of the future which desynchronize them from what many call living in the present, which often in turn leaves them with a constant darkness about them, making it immensely difficult to be content with the world as it's happening, great or ill. As such, they feel cornered and feel as if there's no option but to take on that role of savior. Because after all else, who will? Sabbath rest talks about an unplanned, unscripted existence. The state of being versus doing. The, the writer, the wisdom writer in Ecclesiastes 1.14 says, I've seen all the works that are done under the sun and indeed all his vanity and grasping for the wind. We have not been able to slow down. I was in Jordan doing a conference a while ago. And at one point I said to people, listen, if you really want to connect with God, um, switch off your cell phone, take out the battery and put it in another room just so you don't get tempted. Then you lock the door. They looked at me in utter horror. You can't be serious. Does God expect that from me? To get disconnected? And, and that is, that is true for all of us. That entertainment abomination of, of, of helicopter parents. Most of us who have had parents at all have had bad parenting. Where your parents constantly feel guilty when you make the claim that you're bored. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Mom, I'm bored. If we're gonna, if we're gonna learn to be present to God, you must teach your kids to be bored and to get over it. There's a diabolical, demonic thing happening in life right now, putting pressure on us to keep going and to keep running. And scripture says, chasing the wind. There's nothing at the end of where we're going to. We must learn to slow down. Pastor from around here, a great man of God, he's gone to be with the Lord, but I was in a meeting with him once where he was talking about being in a huge meeting in Seoul, South Korea. And the, the presiding minister said, um, before we, we start the, the conference, we're going to spend some time just, just in, 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 in private prayer where, where we're sitting and, uh, and everybody put their stuff down, and then it happened. He says, and we're going to do it for the next two hours. There's a man of God that was flowing, the supernatural and, and everything. And he says, after five minutes, he didn't know what to do with himself. He could go out of his mind. In all that doing, he could only be present to his contribution, not present to God. We could only be stimulated if we feel useful and engaged and involved. We cannot switch off the stuff of life to be present to life. We can't. So the devil's doing something very subtle with us. He's winding us up and we're running and we're running. And, and what I feel the Holy Spirit saying, I mean, I never thought God would ever tell me 
to not preach, to not teach, to not prophesy. And then for almost like two years, and can I tell you, it wasn't such a horrible experience. I'll do it ten times over if I could just feel closer to God the way I am right now. It's so cool to be free from the space where I've got this expectation that God has to perform around me all the time and do stuff to make me feel good, to make me feel like He's there. Because I can't access His presence if He doesn't ring bells and blow through the room with a... You're like the disciples when Christ walks into the room. Oh, we can see you, but we don't really believe you here. Let's, 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 let's get some proof. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, feels like you, feels like you, looks like you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And, and God is a little bit like the resurrected Christ. He's in the room and I don't know, if he's not performing, if there's not stuff happening, then obviously. <laughs> For the season where we're going to people, we need a gear change and I'll tell you why in just a moment. Watch this, Mark 3.14. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. I want you to read this with me. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. That is divine order right there, people. We're a generation of, who's never learned that first bit. We start talking, our, our parents start talking to us about changing the world and doing stuff. I sat next to a man that made me get homicidal thoughts. His little daughter just climbed from the swimming pool and she's like 11, and she's shaking like a reed. She's just done 200 meters butterfly. My son used to swim butterfly. It's, it's, it's terrible. It takes everything out of you. you. You need a sugar fix right there. Just stop the shaking. And you're not shaking because you're cold. You, you, you're spent. You're physically spent. So she stands there shaking, and, and she's taken off her swim cap, and, and she just wants Dad to hold her. And Dad is giving her this we van der or clutus or whatever they were. We don't do second or third. We win. You must win. Oh, and I wanted to get my hand on his belt here at the back and just dump him in that pool because I could tell he had never been in a pool in his life. And that girl right now needs the reward of being. She just needs for him to reach out and to hold her. Not even a well done or anything. It's just great to be together here. And you're a great kid. And it's great to be with you. Somebody sent me a word the other day on WhatsApp saying, God says, if Shofar does not honor the Sabbath, your lampstand will be removed. And I got back to the guy and said, listen, I, I fully agree with you because God's speaking to me and to us about the Sabbath. And it means that I'm putting pressure on our leaders from the top down to take time out, to just find out what it's 
like to be like on the receiving end of some, somebody laying hands on you, preaching for you, prophesying over you. And what, what if they mess it up? What if they're not present? What if they're not really saying and doing what God wants them to say? What if they set you in a wrong course? What, 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 you, what, what, if, they, what if they damage you? You know, it's, it's like a surgeon going into the surgery for the first time. You're lying there and you're listening to the people talking about the golf and the garden and the dog and their mother-in-law. And you're lying there all nervous because as far as you're concerned, they're supposed to take your appendix out, but they're talking about your woman, you're a man. That really happened to somebody I know. I mean, really. <laughs> and they, they got, they got the, the bodies mixed up. But you know how it feels. And so... Sabbath for, for me is where we as ministers go and, and just, just be on the receiving end. Just have somebody speak into your life, minister into your life. Just let God reign on you without you growing stuff and producing stuff and performing. Sabbath. But you know, for us, simplicity... And a de-accessorized existence is very hard. I'm going to close with the scripture, Habakkuk 2 verse 1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and I will answer and what I will answer when I'm corrected. I'm going to leave this challenge with you guys. And I'm not talking about quiet times. I'm not talking about getting into the word. I'm not talking about doing stuff. I'm talking about an emotional, spiritual discipline that we as a generation so desperately need. In other words, the only accessory you take with you is, your, is a stopwatch or something. And if, if you can put your phone on, on flight mode and, and get the, the stopwatch going. Give yourself 45 seconds or 60 seconds, just for a couple of days. I find a lot of people like, like the pastor from up the road who can't spend five minutes with God when he's supposed to do nothing. Just be there. Give yourself a minute just to slow down and center your thoughts on God. Like Habakkuk. I'm going to stand there and just watch to see if, it'll, if it will say something to me. If he says something, fine. If he says nothing, fine. But I'm going to be there. I'm going to be present to him. We used to sing the song, Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see Jesus. That's what this is about. Because he's not out there. He's, he's right here, but we can't see him. And, he, and he's watching us. I've been doing some reading for the purpose of discipling. And, you know, what I'm talking about here goes very deep. A lot of us were born out of Caesarean section, and a lot of us, worse than that, not that Caesarean section is, is neither here nor there, but it's natural and it's beautiful. I mean, natural birth is, is beautiful. But then a lot of us have, have never breastfed. Not, it's not that much better than, than bottle feeding, but... But there's something about the, the attachment and just being there and the eye contact. And, and I'm talking about research, medical research in the last three years. That hours that mom spends with the baby like that, just looking at it. 
what they have been able to establish is there's such a massive lot of brain activity with the mom and the child when they have eye contact like this. And judging by what happens, especially in the frontal lobe of, of, of the child, there's a download of data that scientists are speculating about, and, and they feel it's the passing on of a lot of mimic material. In other words, the mom is transferring so much embedded memory from generations back to the child by just looking at the child. But if you ever see a mom breastfeed, just stop and and try to get your head around that nothing that happens right there. It's not nothing. There's a lot of deep, dynamic, exciting stuff that happens where it matters most, where nobody else sees We're a superficial generation. We're a superficial church because we cannot be present to God. So to come back to that 60 seconds that may grow to be 180 seconds, take it very slowly. Don't rush yourself because it's a healing that God is doing in the deepest of our hearts. God wants me to learn presence because he wants to be my mother that I never had. I didn't have a mother for 36 months. I was a colic baby and got posted to my grandmother who's deaf. So I screamed for 36 months. At the moment, God is doing such incredible healing in me. I'm not going to tell you all the stories. We've got massive deficits. I never sat in my mom's lap. I love it to distraction, but I, I've only now, she's 95, five years ago, started hugging and kissing her just for minutes. I, I don't know what that feels like. I, we've, we've just never bonded in that way. We're a generation that really battles with attachment. We get married and we don't know what to do and, and, and we're trying to perform and do and we go to class and they tell us to do stuff and, and it doesn't make things better because it's not about doing. We can't be together for three hours and do nothing and enjoy it. We can't. Get a movie. Get a bicycle. Get running shoes. I watch these poor ladies. I mean, I can tell they hate cycling. But it's the only dear time they're going to be able to spend time with this oaf on his bicycle because he's more in love with that bicycle than with that woman. And that woman is following him like a dear slave just for the sake of presence. I think I'm talking to somebody in the room. Ha! I've, I've, never, I've never seen such a hyper generation. We've got to do stuff and we've got to climb mountains and cross oceans and rivers and, and then say we've had a good time together. And we think that's life. And it's not about the quality of our lives that suffers, really. It's about the fact that our maker, wherever we are on that bicycle, wherever we are in the sky, wherever we are, he's there and he's waiting. He wants to take you back to that breastfeeding that you missed. He wants to take you back to the nine months in the womb that you missed. He wants to take you back to those hours of fishing with your dad where both of you said nothing. And you came back and mom says, where's the fish? And dad just gives a wry smile and looks at you and you look at each other and you walk on. Mom's frustrated because now she's got to open a till of pulchards because what did you guys do all morning? 
We sat there. And nothing. We've been preaching Calvinism and not the gospel. I, I remember my dad used to walk into the room and says, you can't just sit around there and do nothing. Get busy. You know how it works at the office. You all are chilling and then, then the supervisor, the boss, or the manager walks through and everybody sits. <laughs> as soon as he's gone, we all go back to ha ha. So much guilt. And we know it's a farce. It's not like we're busy. And he knows we're not working, but he feels good because he keeps you focused. God's not like that. God's exactly the other way around. God would rather take Moses away for 40 years just to teach him to be present to him. Because he knew that's what he was going to need from Moses. Not Moses' anointing, not his gifts, not his skills, his soft skills, his hard skills. He didn't need that. He just needed a man who could be present to him regardless of the circumstance. And Christians say, I've, I've started spending time with God, but I'm, I'm not hearing him. That's fine. Talking to a lady the other day, and she's growing so beautiful in the prophetic. And I said to her, I, I, get, a, I get a feeling that, that you, if she puts it down on paper for me, so it's a bit of a mentoring situation. And I say, you, you're saying too much. You, you, you're under obligation to produce words for people. I say, God doesn't want that. Because presence teaches us about minimalism, about the fact that something you needn't say anything to say something. And sometimes you come to a person and, and you, you're, you're in a flow and now suddenly God has nothing to say to this person and now that pressure happens again. I've got to say something. I've got to do something. So otherwise this person's going to be offended. We pray for some people and they get healed and, and we go off on it and, and other people don't get healed and as Henny was saying yesterday, stats have it that 4% 4 people get healed in healing ministries. The rest don't get healed, not because God doesn't heal, but because it's a matter of timing. It's like at every crusade, not everybody gets saved, not because God doesn't want to save them, it's because of his timing, the fullness of time. But we can't appreciate that if you've not learned to be present to God. Can we stand this morning? I'm wanting to pray with people this morning who's got a mother need. And you wouldn't know that in your mind, but you may know that in your spirit. Talking about the presence of God, David says, God, do you know how I feel around you? I feel like a burping baby. You know when a baby's breastfed? He lies there with a Madonna kind of smile on his face and he goes, ah, ah, ever so often. He's like a little froggy there. He's just so rustig. He doesn't have a care in the world. We're going to times and days when chaos and darkness and anxiety, it's already started, it's mounting and it's gnawing at all of us. It draws all of us into its vortex. And it's going to crush us, it's going to destroy us. 
And we're on the eve of experiencing God like no other generation has experienced God. I want you to listen very carefully now. And a lot of people are about to miss God. Because our expectations of God are skewed. We still expect God to limit himself. There's some kind of law of human agency that, that we have imposed on him that does not appear in scripture. Which means God can only move if humans approve and agree. And say, God, use us. And that's not true. God will fulfill his purpose with or without us. We cannot hold God to ransom. But God is about to show up and to reveal himself to the nations of this world in a sovereign way. And the power he's about to manifest is much greater than anything that humans can mediate. It's poor hell on Egypt. It's open the Red Sea kind of stuff that God is about to do. We're the generation of Elijah. And in Southern Africa, you're going to see us wreak havoc with El Nino. That is a man-made weather condition, by the way. We can talk about that some other time. But like Elijah, we're going to call for droughts. We'll call for rain. But only as God prompts us. Not as we deem fit. But there are a lot of people who are going to miss God because they're in it for a sense of significance and fulfillment, a lot of ego needs that we spiritualize. There's a pursuit of the supernatural that troubles the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you that. I hear people talk more about the supernatural than about Christ and his sacrifice and his death. And God is about to draw people his people to be present in the middle of pain and suffering. The incident at the university is relevant here. I'm sitting with those young people and it was supposed to be a debate about church and state and its separation and, and I was invited and I get invited to these things all the time and I know it's a setup. It's got nothing to do with debate or discussion. It's just about let, let's knock Fred, let's knock Shofar. So normally I say no because it's a waste of time. This time God said go. So outside, I've got this migraine from hell, and the swallowed pills, it just wouldn't go away. I'm sitting in the meeting, and I've got my one eye covered like this, just, just trying to focus on the pain so I can get it to live. And I'm trying to listen to the people. But it's the Muslims and the gays and the, everybody. They're going, taking the, their, their time, just going for me, insulting me, insulting God, insulting us, saying blasphemous stuff, and I'm, I'm just sitting there. And then one gentleman, he's, he's particularly vociferous, he's going for me, boy. And then suddenly he stops. And he goes quiet and he leans forward and he cups his hand in his face. And he sits like that for moments and everybody's watching him, me included, thinking that something's happened to him. And then he looks up slowly and he looks up at me and he says, Umfundis, I just want to honor you for the man of God that you are for being so humble to just be with us. And then he begins to eulogize me as only Africa can. And the presence of God fills that place. And God turns that meeting around. 
it's happening to me on campuses when meeting with the anarchists and all these crazy raging people. They don't need sermons and advice. It's amazing. The world's looking for people that can mediate the presence of God without any effort on our part. I don't care where you work. I don't care where you live. I believe God wants you to discover the power of presence. Called in by a family once with a daughter as a Satanist and got there. And she had her bags packed and the mom was panicking and crying because when she leaves, she stays away for months and that. And I walked into her room and she was there and she had this dreadful music. She turned up loud all the speakers were distorting. And I pulled up a chair and I sat in the middle of the room and I, I crossed my legs and folded my arms and just sat there. I could feel her pacing around me. I closed my eyes. I wasn't looking at her. But I can tell you what the end of that story is. That girl is now a saved, spiritual child of God and I said not a word to her. What actually happened is she stormed out the room. She stormed out the house with the bag and the parents panicked. And I walked out of the room and I said, Mom and Dad, because they're not Christians, I said, you're not going to understand what I'm going to do now. You, you just nod your head and say, Amen, when I look at you. Okay. And they said, fine. So we're holding hands. The girl's name is Joan. And I said, Joan, wherever you are right now, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to stop. You will stop. You will turn around. You will come back home now. But this is the last time you run away. You will come home now. You will come to God. So we had some tea. And uh, as I was leaving, standing on the stoop, about to go to the car, parents saying goodbye to me. They've got a long driveway running down to the main road of the town they live in. Silhouetted under the street light was Joan with a rucksack on her back, dressed in black head to toe, just standing there. And she quietly came up the driveway, filed into the house. And either that next day or the next, next week, in that week she got saved, days later, still serving the Lord. Mom of a couple of kids, praying for God. Believers, we're about to see God do stuff that has nothing to do with how well we speak, if we can speak, how many gifts we have, if we don't have. It has to do with whether you're willing to sit with God until He takes you by the ankles and tips you upside down until all the nonsense inside of us runs out. He just wants me empty. You know why? Because He wants to fool me. But He can't fool me because I'm too full of myself. And I don't know how to fix that. And once he fills me and puts me in a place, he fills the place. In the Finney revival, Finney demonstrated that he could walk into a factory where people were working and just stand there and do nothing until the Spirit of God fills the place. And people would fall to their knees and cry to God and connect with him. And Philly would walk out without having said a word. Years ago, I was asked to, to sing because I used to do that with, a, with an orchestra was accompanying a, a group of dancers doing their annual exhibition at the Tiger Valley Mall in Cape Town. I don't know if you know it, in a big food court area. Big stage there for the dancers and then the orchestra was on the side and I was, and I was having to sing a Chuck Gerald song and it's the only time it happened to me. 
I'd been fasting and praying that week, just knowing God had an appointment. I didn't know what he wanted to do. I only had two songs to sing. And when it came to the second song, Chuck Gerald's song, it's the name above all names. All I remember is waiting for the orchestra to, to, to get ready. I don't remember singing the song at all until afterwards. I remember looking at the microphone hanging down there and me. I've got a lot of sand blood in me, so I don't sweat much. But I was sweating, which I know <laughs> must be God. But as I looked out over that mall... Everything had come to a halt. People were on their knees crying out to God at all the different levels. Everything stopped. The dancers were lying on one big heap on the stage, passed out. I don't know when that happened because I wasn't there either. I just came to when the song was over. God is, God is bringing back so many memories to me and, and he's, he's giving me glimpses of, of where we're going to right now. But any church or any church movement that thinks that God has an interest in our or any other brand had better just check, check out and go somewhere else. Any person who feels that their identity or their contribution is going to be catalytic, it's, it's going to make some big contribution and that you're going to actually fulfill your Superman fantasies, maybe you should check out too. The body of Christ is not for you. There isn't enough space for the glorified Christ and a glorified human ego. Can we pray? Father, I thank you that I can preach the gospel today because, Father, you know it's so simple and we never say it. We can spend weeks and weeks having conferences about human fulfillment and human vanity. And Father, today I just want to say that in the light of the cross, I decry and I denounce all vanity and all pride which is the image and the spirit of Lucifer and God I want to speak death to the image of Lucifer in your church to that desire for that desire to be seen and heard and known and acknowledged and recognized Father I want to pray Lord for the 88% of your body who today sits at home don't go to church because they say they're offended with you Father God, I want to repent because of all these conversations, the conferences we're having about expectation management because you're not living up to the expectation of your people because your people are wanting you to perform. I want to use this moment, Lord, just to speak a word of humble repentance on our behalf. And I want to say, Father, we have a problem and the problem is not you. The problem is that we don't know you. Father, this morning I want to say that we have reduced you to shoebox size And we use you to make us feel good and to make us feel big and important. And we have been deceived into having an abusive relationship with you. But we repent this morning. Father God, this morning I pray for the circumcision of hearts here and of minds. Just to come to a place of honesty and truth. where we want to acknowledge that it's so hard to come to you and to expect nothing from you and to know that that is right and true and good Father tonight we are this morning we recognize that we are a consumer more shopping this generation and we want to reduce you to the level of our transactional agreements with each other and we want to draw you into our world and into our presence 
And this morning we just say we're sorry. And we recognize that it needs to stop. But we don't know how to stop it, God. Because we're just part of this generation. We, we cannot think beyond ourselves, see beyond ourselves. So Father God, we've got a whole church in the West and Lord, if we were to do a survey across the body of Jesus Christ as to how many people pray on a daily basis for the persecuted church, the people that are today laying their lives down, being beheaded by ISIS. And we live in our little circles where we think that we're too smart or too special to have to lay our lives down for you. Oh, Father, we just ask that you would just cleanse us and empty us of that delusion, that deception, that vanity that, that so fills us and fuels us. And God, I, I ask that you just take us back, right back to just, just when we popped out of the womb. When our needs were so simple. All we needed was touch. All we needed was closeness and attachment. That was all we needed. And the world was fine. And the amazing thing, Father God, there was no need for us to do stuff to make mom happy and dad happy. We just needed to be there and to respond to that closeness, to that nearness. Father, I pray that you help us do that again. Then to be present to you in Jesus' name.